Observe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of the Observe and Report Show. I'm Kyle Brennan, joined as ever by my beautiful co-host Keith Sullivan. Keith, how are we doing today? Couldn't be better, pal. Really enjoying the weather. Really yeah. enjoying the sun. I look much more tan, don't I? A little bit, yeah. yeah. You got a nice tan. Uh huh. Coming off Father's Day. Yeah, City Field is great because I went to the Met game with the family, and they have that big open, just beers and food and like tables to stand at and drink and whatever. And you don't even have to go to the seat at City Field. Like you can just we what we do is we buy the cheapest, shittiest seats. You know, because we're not going to go to them anyway. We're just going to hang out by the big TV and the big Budweiser sign and get steak sandwiches and beers and just kind of hang out there the whole time. But if you want a tan, there's no coverage. If it's a beautiful day, you just stand there and drink. And, you know, it's it's. I love that stadium. I don't care. Everyone, oh, but I miss Shea. Why? No. It City, was a prison. Well, Shea. City Field was, I think, is modeled or uh, the same architect as Camden Yards in Baltimore or to school. The difference between, uh, like, ballpark, like, Camden Yards, City Field mm. versus like a Yankee Stadium. City Field's a ballpark. Yes. You know what I mean? Yankee exactly. Stadium is like, Yankee yeah, Stadium. it's nice, it's like, but historic and like whatever. Yeah. But City Field, when you go there, you hear the organ or you, you yes. get a hot dog, you get a beer. Yes. Like you feel like you're at the ballpark. Dude, they were playing like Enter Sandman on the organ. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, they get yeah, playful yeah. with it. You know it's a real person too. Like it's an actual guy playing an organ. Right. It's not just a recording. And it's a great place for kids like Mrs. Met. You can meet Mrs. Met. And they have a ball dunking thing. You could throw the baseball at someone. They fall in the water. That whole thing. Yeah, I remember it's as a, a kid. Time. As a kid, I was always. I'm a Yankee fan. I was always jealous of like Mets fans or Mets kids because like the games were more fun. Yeah, and like obviously, yeah, I'm spoiled. The Yankees were the best team in the world ever. But right. I was always like, ah, but like the Mets games, like they yeah. do all the games and like you know all yeah. the riffraff. But I was like, that's kind of what kids want at a baseball game. Exactly. You know? And at a Yankee game, I went recently my my I'm not a Yankee fan, but my wife is and like we went recently with our daughter. That was her first ball game, but the Yankee game is so like you almost feel like you have to watch the game <laughs> yeah. or else people are going to go, "Oh, pay attention." Like, "Come on, the Yankees are up." Like yeah, yeah. there's so much of a pressure to just focus and care and cheer. It's almost like Kim Jong-un, like if you walk by me, gotta, like you must, like you can't just go, oh, whatever, I'm, ha- I'm not in the mood. Like at the game, dude, I swear to God, I turned around and, you know, it was the eighth inning. Like I hadn't, I didn't watch one pitch. I didn't, and it was, it was a good game apparently. Like, you know, there were a bunch of home runs. I heard the crowd cheering. I don't know why, you know, who really, and also I'll say having a baby there. Because it's more kid-friendly, they have the family restrooms, which Yankee Stadium has too. But when I went, man, you know, it's like in the middle of like nowhere by like the garbage pails. And I'm, I was waiting to go in there and a kid comes out. He's like 17. He works there. Like, you know he was jerking off in there. Like, because it's a f- private lockable oh. door. And I'm like, okay. So like, then I go in there. I'm changing. There's, there's like a slop sink in there. I'm like, this is a joke. City Field, it was beautiful, the family room. The the brand new the 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 ones that if you bring down the door to the, the the table it doesn't slam there's like hydraulics that go th- mm. so like you're like oh this is new clean yeah City Field so ten times better of an experience as a fun day than yeah. Yankee Stadium yeah, for I sure it's not only that by the way I had to wait for literally literally fifty minutes in the baking sun to get into Yankee Stadium Ooh. City Field you just walk in and and go find your seat. What's with the 
the line. Yeah, the getting in Yankee Getting in Yankee Stadium in sucks. Yeah. Um yeah, speaking of City Field, I'm going to uh going to see the Grateful Dead and, and John Mayer yeah. on Thursday. Oh. So me and Lauren oh, love John Mayer. <laughs> Biggest John Mayer fan. We're going to see him do his acoustic tour uh in October. But Grateful Dead, I've just never been able to get into. I don't get it either, man. And so do like and me and Lauren were driving yesterday and we're like, you know what, let's listen to grateful dead for like an hour we got to drive let's listen to him like get you know you know we're familiar with like trucking casey jones yeah the normal you know, friend stuff. of the devil all those songs the radio good. stuff good yeah. stuff but you start listening to some of the other stuff and like i've tried to give him a chance i've really really it's a shame tried. right and every time every like i've really tried like my, my friend is obsessed with them so i'm like you know what i have good taste in music like i listen to eclectic stuff i listen to jazz like country rap rock everything right and every time i listen to the grateful dead i'm just like no no nothing there's just there's something nothing at all boring about them and i, I love jam bands even me like, too yeah not even like fish but like there's a band umphreys mcgee yeah love them incredible and i band. used to be in, into fish too yeah and fish is better than the dead but like i my mom was a i get i don't know if she was a hippie but she had a lot of vinyls she has authentic dead vinyls from like live at the whatever the fuck and I used to listen to them when I was younger, and I would like you know smoke weed. I'd really try to get in the right headspace, and I'd put the vinyl on, and I'd ha- I'd really get into it. And dude, just thirty minutes in, I would give it, and I'd go, man, this is just not good. No, it's just not. And, it, and good. it's not like like a lot of bands that my friends try to get me into. You know, sometimes it's like, hey, you know what? Like it's decent, but it's just not my style. Mm-hmm. With Grateful Dead, I'm like, it's actually not even like that good yeah. to me. It's like, very like it's just it's just and like the, the but it sounds like, and like okay and it sounds like, like the 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 volume is off. Like yeah. the singing is just like like you right. barely hear the singer. And I'm people like, who are fans get obsessed with like like dude do you hear what they're jamming like it's been 20 minutes of this and like I'm like yeah but you know what man I'm a musician that's really not that hard to do. <laughs> like it's not that hard yeah. to just jam. Like that's not yeah. people make mistake that with musical brilliance. Like you're so clever that you can just come up with shit. But dude, it's like an artist. Like it's like doodling. It's like right. is this a masterpiece? No. And every now and then I'll see like a well respected musician talk about Jerry Garcia and the Dead and like really sing their praises. And I'll get I'm like, all right, maybe I'm missing. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, I always think it's me too. Right. Then. And then Lauren Lauren goes, she's like, what if it's just like a like a hoax like everyone's just pretending to like I the think dead it's a little bit like and they're that. like Let, let's just make really cool t-shirts let's yeah. go, like let's be called deadheads and go to the concerts deadheads. and like see if everyone just like starts like, right let's, let's just mess with everyone yeah and it's also an excuse to not have a job you can just follow the dead around your whole life people do that like yeah. it's like an army of like 15 20 thousand people right they follow them around because it's like why dedicated why? their whole existence to the dead, you know. And like I, I listen to like Jimmy Buffett, and like I'll admit, yeah, he's not that great. Right. But like I, I, I dig some of his songs and some of like the the atmosphere and stuff. But I'll be the first to admit, you know, yeah, like if you don't like it, I get it. Like totally. it's not that good. It's like honky tonk, like you know, white people music. Right. But parrot great, heads, right? Parrot heads. Parrot they heads. Call but them? like Grateful Dead fans will always just be like, no, you got to listen to the live in San Francisco 1961 yeah. version. Then, then you'll know. <laughs> And then I listen to it. And I'm like, You're like it's not good. worse than the yeah, last shit I heard. Yeah. And even like John Mayer, who I love, like he doesn't even make it that much better for me either. Like I tried to. Yeah, listen. I was going to ask why does he then? Like, because I wonder, does he? 
is he a deadhead, John Mayer? I don't like, think what's so. this gig about? I don't about? think he really listened to them much. Um, I think he heard one song called Althea, which is a pretty good song. I, I like that song. And he really liked like the groove of it and the melody and stuff. And he learned how to play it. And then I think he just he connected with Bob Weir somehow. And then they jammed together. And then he John Mayer started to like learn some of the dead songs. Sure. From like a guitar perspective. They probably gave then, him like acid. That's the other thing too. We're not even bringing that up, but like yeah. apparently it really is different if you're on a psychedelic cuz it is total space music. It's ambient ambient. Like it's very it's kind of like atmospheric a, and, Yeah. I mean like Pink know, Floyd, right? If you listen yeah. to that sober versus high, it's very different. Totally. Experience. Well, Floyd's heavy and there's just much more structure with them in general. You know, I, I know what you're trying to say. It's very atmospheric, spacey yeah, yeah. like in your head music, but you know, there's also such a concept and such a purpose. Whereas the dead's just like, hey man, like just listen, man. And it's like, yeah. dude, I don't know. I'm paying you. Like, do something good. And it's it's weird you to know? me how it's like some of the greatest bands ever, like the Stones or something, like they, they didn't have the same following. But like mm. our, like objectively, they're one of the greatest bands ever. Absolutely. But then this this band who they have all the allure, right? Like the like I said, like the the merchandise, the logos, the artwork, the, the atmosphere, and the fans—like it's yeah. so cool. But then, the, like the music just doesn't back yeah. it up for me. No, like I'm not in my car, like blasting some no. song. Like I've never yeah. once said, like, man, I'm in the mood for some Grateful Dead. Yeah. Like I, that's my vibe right now, and I I know the vibe. I do. I like I I get really heady, spacey. I go into the woods and I hike, and I want like that kind of, you know, not. You know, not intense kind of music, and it's never the dead that's calling to me. No, like, and I've tried. They just tried suck. hard, man. So really, this concert for me is about John, the last bastion of like, hey, I'm trying. Right, you're really and doing if, it. Hey, may, maybe it'll strike a chord. Uh, maybe I'll do the right amount of drugs, and it'll hit me. And I'm like, hey, this is great. You know, I've converted. If not, I don't know. No. Were you I, over? Uh, not, I want to talk more about John Mayer. John Mayer, because I missed the boat with him. Like when he was really, really popular, which he still is, but when he was prime John Mayer, the whole world was talking about him. I was too busy with other bullshit and musically to care. So, but now I realize the the John Mayer trio was one of the greatest things that ever happened. Like that's my Steve that's my Jordan favorite version of John and Mayer. I don't really know who the bass player was. Pino Palladino. Okay, Pino Palladino. But what was like? Why doesn't he do that anymore? I don't know. That to me was you know? peak John Mayer. John Mayer trio. I think it's indisputably peak John Mayer. If yeah, you listen, I mean, like, uh, you'd be surprised the amount of people who claim to be like massive John Mayer fans who really didn't listen to John right. Mayer trio. Yeah. Um, to me, that's like like he's just slashing electric guitar, blues, like Jimi Hendrix covers, like really showing how talented of a guitarist he is. Yeah. Um. And it's then, also objectively good. And once you see you know, that, like so to, me, to me, that's him expressing like how he's a ridiculously good guitar player. And like to see him do the John Mayer trio and like just rip guitar solos and stuff and then just go right back to like kind of and, and like no disrespect for them, but like kind of just like, you know, standard chord progression pop songs. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, man, like, yeah. And the, the pop stuff is good. And like, He's gotten more artistic on a number of his albums, um, and I love that stuff too. I, I love most of what John Mayer does, but it's just like, man, you have so much untapped potential yes. to just shred guitar. Yeah, and even the tour he has coming up, it's acoustic, and it's like, I I totally get that every girl there is going to be crying and weak in the knees just watching him 
on a stool with a guitar. I get that, mm-hmm. you know, like you mentioned, allure of like a performance. But I mean, when you when I see the live version of "I Don't Need No Doctor" from the Trio days, like you're like, dude, this is electric. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's the last time someone's been like that uh, popular and also at the same time playing real music yeah and everyone giving a shit about it like that was and there's not you know like i can't think of any other artist doing that kind of music. me neither that's my point it's like he really like gave bl- it another you like know blues rock that could also be on the radio mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. um with and he had like a full brass band too like, yeah i will say my my wife who's i think she saw him on that tour and said he he would get kind of grateful dead like live with that where, you know, sometimes they jam and it's like an hour long of the same old kind of, and you know, he come up to the mic every once in a while and whisper a few lyrics and then go back to playing his guitar. And these people are like some of half of them, if not more than that, are there to see the song John Mayer, like mm-hmm. song one, song two, song three, a throwback and whatever. So yeah, it's he's so versatile that he probably disappoints a lot of his fans sometimes, but also gains new ones like me. I would have never cared about him if he never did that, to be honest, you know? Yeah, but it is cool that he's, like, he's continued to evolve, like, in different ways. Right. He went from, like, you know, pop, like, uh, No Such Thing, like that song, to, like, you know, Your Body's a Wonderland, mm-hmm. then to, like, John Mayer Trio, Continuum, like, one of the, one of his best albums, Continuum's arguably. incredible. Then he went back to, like, more acoustic with, like, Born and Raised, uh, Paradise Valley, what was the country-esque kind of album he came out with? Uh, Liz says totally underrated. She's a big country girl. But she always says that that's a very underrated album. He, he went country for a bit, you know. Uh, I guess you could argue, like, well, Born and Raised is more, like, folksy, Maybe I folk. And Maybe Parada- Paradise Valley, and too. <laughs> um, I don't really listen to Paradise Valley much, so I can't really name much mm-hmm. on that. But be honest, I'm yeah. seeing Aerosmith. At That's the UBS cool. arena, which they're one of those bands you either don't care and hate them, or you just get it. Like there are, you either get it or you don't. Band like the like the Dead. You have to excuse the whole dude looks like a lady, jaded Aerosmith. Even though I love those songs, but to, those are those songs are kind of like a joke to a lot of people. But you know, those people don't understand that there's really good rock there, like good old fashioned rock music that's fun to see live. I feel like a lot of this shit now, I'm like, yeah, it's great, but like, what is it live? Who cares? Yeah, it's a you good know? point. We talked about this a while back of like, my dad asked me a good trivia question, or not trivia, but like conversation starter question of like, who do you think is the best American rock band yes. ever? And you said Aerosmith. I didn't really have a full-fledged answer. I mean, I would put into the ring, I would say, for me, it's Credence, um, even though they only existed for like four years. Yeah. Uh, the Doors. I'd throw up there. Same thing. They're all like, both those bands years. are like objectively better than... Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Some people would say the Eagles. I'm not a huge Eagles guy. Um, Me neither. But I'd say the Doors and CCR are absolutely two yeah. of them. Those are my I mean, two not favorites. not the two. Those are my two favorite. I, I, and I've recently come to really appreciate CCR again because a documentary came out about them yeah, like last year. That. And you just listen to Born on the Bayou and shit <laughs> yeah. like that, man. You can't believe... And John Fogarty's voice. It's That's just... the thing. It's the voice, but also just how simple the... Like, there's no nothing flashy. Yeah. There's no guitar solos. It's just like... If they... If any... I don't know how they did that where they just sound like America. What? How did yeah. they... You know what I mean? Like, they sound like... How does Born on the Bayou instantly make you think of a swampy house? 
just that and then that voice i can remember the voice oh my god rolling through the backwood bay <laughs> holy shit dude his voice is unbelievable yeah dude, it's when so i was a good. kid i would listen to that and be like who the hell is this guy like, yeah such a good is voice. he dead no he's still alive. he's still alive so apparently the big thing was uh he's just started to re-perform ccr songs because he i guess there was like a legal battle back in like the 70s he lost the right how does when, that always they, happen when they broke up yeah i guess he lost he, or he sold or lost i don't remember um, but he couldn't perform CCR songs on legally his so- on his so- solo tour. Yeah. So, you know, he had like center field and like all those songs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he just started re-performing like uh-huh. born on the bio and those songs. Oh God. So well, good. I'll see it now. Yeah. I didn't know that. I would have been so, I would have been really disappointed. Yeah. Just go and I see what's that one. Jack and that's not him. Jack and Diane. No, that's John Mellencamp. Oh, okay. Well, what's the difference? <laughs> Was he always just John Mellencamp? John Cougar Mellencamp. John Cougar Mellencamp. Mm-hmm. So he was never in a band. He I, was always John Cougar Mellencamp. He was he I think he changed his name a few times. It was okay. like John Mellencamp, then John Cougar Mellencamp, then John Cougar. One of my favorite um words, like slang words for breasts is Mellencamps. <laughs> like I used to work with a guy, he used to go, Look at the Mellencamps on that one. <laughs> The look at the cougar melon camps look at the john melon camps on her <laughs> my god that's a good one i heard a guy say dungarees the other day he was like wow look at all those and the dungarees over there i was like the what <laughs> yeah i haven't the heard that dungarees i haven't heard jeans. dungarees in like 20 years that's a it made me want like is that what jeans used to be called that's what our parents used to call them dungarees in like the 90s. i think yeah they, i think they retired that word in like 98 no man. that's an old that's done yeah that's like you know you got a pocket watch on you? What? Dungarees. Yeah. Look wow. at the look at the, her, her over there in the dungarees. <laughs> I you know when like someone says a word you go you you forget that word even existed. Yeah, what are the words are like that? That like our parents or grandparents used to say. Yeah. I, I you know what was a good one? I, I got called a knucklehead recently. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, you're such a knucklehead. I'm like knucklehead. And by the way, that is that is exactly what I am. <laughs> Cuz I'm not stupid. Like I'm not a dumb person. Yeah. But I am what you would call a knucklehead. Like I just like forget things sometimes. Yeah. I'm in my own. I'm up my own ass a lot. You that know, that's a good one. Uh, Get your head out of your ass. That's yeah. another one. Yeah, or like numb nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Nimrod. There's Nimrod. some good ones. <laughs> There's ones that they like. They sound like like hokey pokey. Like yeah, non curse words, but they're actually sure. more. They they're right. more hurtful. Right. Someone calls you numb nuts. Like that's more hurtful than someone it calling is. you a shithead. It is. You ever <laughs> see that funny tweet? It went viral where this guy was like. Uh, I, I cut somebody off and he sped up to me and I thought he was going to curse me out and flip me off, but he just went, <laughs> he just gave me a big thumbs, thumbs down. down and somehow that hurt more. Oh yeah. Then he should have just called me a piece of shit. It would have hurt less. Big time. Yeah. So you reading anything? Uh, I, I Are you writing anything? You look like a, an author right now. I've, like, yeah. I've been trying to write a little bit more. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I I just wrote an article yesterday about just like getting back into your hobbies Dude, more. Yes, I just got the newsletter email yeah. about that. Um, that's a great topic, man, because that's a huge problem for me. Yeah, so you know, so one th- I started doing, I started taking therapy or going to therapy. No shit. Not I never thought I needed it, but my my employer offered uh, five free sessions. You can take your text. It's yeah. Okay. <laughs> my employer offered five free sessions, and I was just like, you know what? It's free. 
Like, when else am I going to yeah. have the urge to do it or, like, go on myself? You, who offered five free sessions? Uh, uh, my Your job. Your employer. Okay. My job, okay. yeah. So... So I did that and like, you know, you start talking about, you know, all your childhood traumas and stuff like that. <laughs> but one thing uh, that my therapist recommended was like, like, what did you used to do when you were like 10 years old? And I was like, oh, yeah. She was like, like, you were never stressed when you were out like shooting hoops in the driveway or like drawing with your friends or like playing guitar. And I was like, that's a good point. Um, she was like you you have all these hobbies and stuff and you try to be like the best at them or you try to structure your time in such a way that you're you're doing x y and z and like you, you know you do an hour workout and then you, you read for 20 minutes and like you're yeah. so structured you're just checking off boxes you're not enjoying it anymore and uh she just said like go back to what you enjoyed doing when you were like between the ages of like eight and 14 like what were the activities that you do they still bring you joy right and i was like yeah she's like I didn't actually do this, but she said, create a pinwheel, like a twister of all the activities you like doing, whether it's five or 10 and whatever you're like stressed at work or overwhelmed, spin the pinwheel. So I wrote down like a few things. It was like, you know, playing basketball, drawing, golfing, uh, you know, like playing guitar, all these different things. So now when I'm stressed, instead of like pushing through it or doing, you know, just getting myself more worked up, I'll just go pick up my basketball shoes, go to the park and like shoot hoops and sweat. Yeah. And I have no care in the world. I feel like I'm nine again. It's great. Right. Yeah. That was a huge issue for me because at a certain point, I think for me anyway, when you get to a certain level of uh, proficiency at any task, it starts to become like, well, I got to let me get better and better now. Like you start addicting, to, you get addicted to getting better than just addicted to the, to the activity. And it makes you, it just adds stress to your life because you see other people who are better than you at the thing and you're like, well, I got to get back in there. I shouldn't be doing that. I should be practicing. And then, you know, and then you start to feel like obligated to be, have a professional aspect of this thing in your life where you get paid to do it. And that doesn't always happen because it's, it's not supposed to be something that's money related. It's supposed to be fun. And, and at, at our age, all we think about, especially in our culture, American culture, like make more money, make more money, make more money. And I'm having a hard time, like, just honestly sitting down and enjoying playing the drums or the guitar or anything that I used to like to do because you can't help that feeling of, like, well, why am I just wasting my time? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't I be looking up portfolios right now and investing <laughs> yeah. my money? Like, yeah. But, like, at the end of the day, it's your therapist is right. Like, when you're a kid, you know, you don't even think about anything, really. You, not even what you're doing. You're just doing it. Mm. And that's supposed to be the point, I think, is like to lose yourself in it. You know, we've talked about this movie before, but um, Soul, you know, oh, the, the, I know the character who plays the piano, I forgot his name, but he goes into, um, you know, the, what is it called? Flow, I guess. Like, yeah. And, and I've had that too. But it, it's true. Like, you don't, even he you don't even hear what you're doing anymore. You're like just gone. There's a great book called Becoming No One by, um, I, I forgot his name. You'll find it if you look it up. But it's about that exact moment of just like, you're not even really who you think you are, really, mm -hmm. the end of it all. You're not even really Kyle Brennan. That's just a noise. So whoever you are isn't really anyone. It's just that whatever that moment is, that's what a lot of monks, you know, who have reached enlightenment, they exist within that space. And they, you know, they kind of laugh at a lot of questions because of that when they ask, you know, so, you know, how do you feel? It's like a funny sentence when you when you're in that place. I, I 
It's gone. That whole yeah. it's all that's shut. You know that 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 shit's kind of weird. But I'm gonna read that newsletter because I hope I get some tips out of it. Yeah. How are you enjoying therapy? It's good, man. Generally, um, I would recommend it to everyone. Like, I again, I always had that attitude of like, what do I need? Like, you don't need therapy. Like, you can you can figure it get out through on your it. own. Or yeah, yeah, like you know, what are you gonna complain about what your parents did to you? You know, like so mm-hmm. to to see it. I, it made me realize what I initially thought therapy was, was going to be like a goodwill hunting. You know, you sit on a couch and someone helps you solve all your problems, right? And you end in a hug. Um, it's nothing like that at all. It's the person, the therapist doesn't really, they're not offering you solutions, which in my opinion is a good thing. They're kind of this, the, the neutral sounding board where you get to air out all of your thoughts and you have 55 minutes. Every time I start, I'm like, I got nothing today. And then she'll literally just open it up like, so what's been going on lately? And then 55 minutes later, I'm like, oh shit, I didn't mm-hmm. think I could talk that much, right? Yeah, 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 And yeah. then through it all, she just like asks some questions or maybe has some little comments back, but I'm talking like 90% of the time. And through that process, similar to writing, like you sort of start to figure out your own shit. Yes. Like you, like she's, she's just there to like kind of listen and just like get your vibe and also just like, correct you and you know you start like blaming yourself or blaming other people but uh really it's more about self-discovery so to me it's almost like it's kind of like a going to the gym but for like your your psyche um like it's really uncomfortable you don't know what you're gonna do you like don't want to do it but at the end you're like oh wow i learned yeah i learned a lot of things about myself you never leave going that was a horrible time like i i'm glad i did that yeah and, and some things are just like like oh i haven't thought about that since i was like 10 or i never let me ask you like so my thing with therapy is you know i've been told like you should go not because like again not because you need it but because every everyone should people say yeah who've gone um and i'm always like you know but why like i don't have any memories that i haven't thought about in 20 years i don't have any you know um suppressed emotions and, and experiences because they were so horrible but that's just because i think that now you said you haven't thought about something since you were ten, not necessarily that you suppressed it, but what would you have ever thought of that thing unless your therapist kind of guided you to that thought? No, probably not. Really? Yeah, so I mean, no, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying n- never, but like, but like you would have never thought like on your own to just think of that. So she yeah. took you there. Yeah, in certain wow. cases where it's like you just start talking. And you try to like reason yourself while you're talking Mm. and then like through it, like you, like I said, like writing for me is the same process where like you have an idea in your head, you think you know it, and then you start writing and you realize like, oh, I have a lot more to say about this. Uh It's the same thing with therapy where you're just like, and I get mad because my therapist has this tactic that clearly works where she just like, she won't respond. Like I'll, I'll stop and like wait for her and she'll just be like. So then I feel that like pressure to like keep talking keep talking, yeah. and that's usually where the uncomfortable thing comes out or whatever it is. Um, Interesting. So it's because your, your shadow or whatever you want to talk, whatever you want to call that part of your psyche is for whatever reason, maybe it's your ego. Just don't say that part though. And then if there's silence, you kind of just, it spills out. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The one thing she did that was really helpful for me was like, um, because in certain cases I can get very driven or, you know, get obsessed with things or very binary, like good or bad. And she's like, stop labeling things as good or bad. Like if you achieved something, that's great. Or if you like failed at something, that's 
whatever. Like, don't look at it as good or bad. Right. Look at it as like neutral. Like, you mm-hmm. just okay. Like you you learn from it and you move on. And like now I'm starting to look at things as more neutral versus really good or really bad. Sure. And that's helped a lot too. That's really interesting, man. I mean, like you know, Alan Watts. He was a modern day philosopher. Did a lot of his like talks and lectures in the '60s and '70s, and he said something similar in that there are no mistakes. Like labeling something as a good thing or a bad thing, or uh, it, it, you you can't really make a mistake at the end of the day because you we t- I mean I'm a little deeper into it at the moment, just you know conversationally, but you aren't really Kyle Brennan. I'm not really Casey. Like we're we're we are kind of like you know just these souls that are kind of wandering around, right? And like when you get to that point... Like the movie Soul. Right. When you get to that point (laughs) of realization, you start to realize there are no mistakes and it's all kind of a yin and yang push and pull throughout your life. And he goes, have you ever seen a cloud that was misshapen or or a poorly designed wave? He's like, no, they they always do the right thing. And you're the same thing. Once you realize that, your life becomes a lot less stressful. And I was like, wow, that's an interesting way to put it. Like, I mean, obviously... If you spill, you know, paint all over the new carpet, you fucked up. But like, who really gives? At the end of the day, what happened? Right. Like, you're gonna get another rug. It's you're gonna clean up the mess. Like, it's it's not the end of the world, you know. And so therapy is after five sessions, you think you're gonna go again? Uh, Continue. Yeah, I might. Maybe not as frequently. I did them like every single week. Uh, but maybe like once a month, a little check yeah. in. Like, I know people nice. go for like six months and then don't go for six. Like yeah. that happens, you know. I think it's good. I mean, like I said, it's it's like a like trying to start going on runs when like you haven't really run in like three That's years. What I'm going through. Like, oh, I don't want. You're like I don't want to do this, but I should. Yeah. Like I know I'll feel better. It's gonna be painful, but like. Yep. But quickly though, it does quickly turn around. Like just a week in, I am, and like I ran 14 miles, 14 and a half miles last week, and I. Yeah, you know, it's whatever. And how the knees? Knees nothing nothing yet. They're going to hurt they're going to hurt soon. First it was just the quads burning me up. Burning what are you, what are you training for? Uh, I have a half marathon in November. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um so I'm running 4 miles at a time at least. Um 5 is like my long run right now on the weekend. Uh but it's it's quick how it's it's amazing how quickly your body kind of relearns because I've been into fitness before. I'm not completely coming off the couch, but you just give yourself a week and a half and like take some creatine and some vitamins, and you're like, oh, I can run four miles, no yeah. problem. So it's it's good that you kind of remember that after a while. Your muscles, yeah, that's true. you know, once you gain that ability, it's easy to get back. But like I've never run nine miles at a time or ten miles at a time, so that's going to be the new territory, and I'm sure that's going to suck. That's going to suck. Yeah, it's fun. I did the New York City Marathon like four years ago now. Um, and that training was brutal. And like yeah. afterwards, I was like, I'm never running You were like, again. and you're usually kind of like, I can see the, like the positivity and shit. You were like, I'm never running never again running in my life. Again. And I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't run for like two years at all. <laughs> so now I'm just starting to get back into it. And like I can now see myself, okay, like maybe I'll do another marathon in my when life. When you trained for the marathon, did you lose a bunch of weight or no? Yeah, I got like I was actually looking at pictures of myself from a few years ago recently. I was definitely thinner, way thinner. Lost a lot of muscle that I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I still looked good, so I was yeah, yeah, happy yeah. With it. But yeah, I mean, I was eating a ton because you just burn so many calories. You go for a thirteen. My brother-in-law like, showed me he had his uh, Fitbit or Apple Watch, whatever, going during his marathon run, and he burned four thousand seven hundred and thirty-five calories. Oh, 
Jesus Christ. Dude, I mean, it's absurd. Yeah, I used to love like getting done with my Saturday run, my long run. And then like I'd get back, have like two bacon, egg, and cheeses, like a big Gatorade, go to the brewery, have beers, like a burger. You you feel nothing. Your stomach feels flat. Even running four, I'm like 470. Like that's a decent amount of calories. Like I can go eat now. Like I can go have a little, an extra cookie or two, you know? But not that I should because I do have to shed weight. I'm only doing this too because I feel like it's uncharted territory and like, I want to change the way I look in that way. Like, I, I want to look a way that I've never looked before, and I feel like you can't do that unless you do something you've never done before. So, also, my sister signed me up for this. They're psychotic runners. They run... <laughs> one time, my sister ran from her apartment in Upper East Manhattan to my mom's house in Nassau County, Long Island. Like, Damn, how psych- far is I'm that? like, it's 20 miles. Jesus. It was her long run. I'm like, Allison, whatever. Uh, but I also feel, though, that... A marathon, you know those people that run marathons like every few months they'll run a marathon? Like, aren't you, there's no way that's good for you, long term. Some people just have those bodies, man. Yeah. Like, where they can just take that beating on their legs and like they'll live. But just cardiovascularly, like, you're, you know, I heard someone say once, it could have been total bullshit, that your heart as a mammal is only really good for a certain amount of beats. Is that Donald Trump? <laughs> Maybe. No, this was before he was famous. That's like Someone, his philosophy on working Apparently out. there's some truth to the physiological... That's why he doesn't work out. No, he <laughs> goes, why move? <laughs> I, your heart's only good. He probably heard what I heard and went, well, in that case... It, you know, it sounds plausible. But apparently if you go down to like even 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 um, even uh, you know relatively like from a hummingbird to an elephant, like a hummingbird, I think they their heart beats like 200 times a minute or something like that. And an elephant's beats like, I don't know, 29 times a minute. They'll each at the end of their lives, match up heartbeat-wise is how many pumps you're good for. So, yes, you can... Look, I'm not saying that like it's bad for you, but like you're kind of wasting your pumps at a certain point, I feel like. A lot of, heart, a lot of runners have heart attacks. Well, there's know, a, like, uh, that's, a, that's real. There is an interesting statistic, and I, I'm not going to quote it here on the podcast, but I, I recently heard something about... Uh, someone brought up a good point where it was like, how, how many professional athletes live past you know like 85 barely any and yeah i mean i was like wow that's actually a pretty good point and whether it again i don't know the data on that whether they're talking about like football and hockey which are high impact brain injury or they're talking about yeah 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 olympic runners or swimmers right like uh, i imagine those sorts of low impact like swimming like you probably live much longer than the average person but i don't know yeah but yeah but yeah i mean like it's it's a a marathon my point is is that a marathon is a brutal thing to do but like i said some people just have those bodies that they whether it's their running form genetics or just luck that they can Mm -hmm. just run forever and not get sore not get injured i two knee surgeries before i turned 27 (laughs) so i unfortunately did not have that so i think it's the world telling me hey hang them up buddy yeah just pick up cycling or something Yeah. yeah yeah take up cycling yeah well what's your next like fitness i feel like at our age like, I would have never started running again, even though I've gained weight and whatever since the baby and all that. But, like, as you get older, you really – I just don't really care because, like, I'm, I love my wife. Who am I impressing? That kind of thing. But I think it's important to, to book physical challenges that you're committed to that you paid a couple of bucks for to, like, keep yourself in line. Do you have anything like that coming up? Uh, no, but I agree. I usually do. Um, this is a rare year that I don't. Um, well, you're pretty busy. Like yeah, you've got busy, the fireman thing going fire on, you know, stuff. like what, really what I've been trying to do just because I haven't had a ton of time to go to the gym, um, really just been trying to walk as much as possible. Um, 
like Lauren, my, who, my wife who works in cardiology, like she says the number one thing every single person who's in good health, who's old, who like lives past 90, whatever, they just never stop moving. And a lot of them, it's just like, yeah, I walk six miles every day or I teach ballet or I garden every day. Um, just low impact, just continuous movement. So I always try to make sure I walk, you know, at least like an hour if I can every single day. Um, if I don't, that's when I feel like pretty shitty. So even if I don't work out, don't go to the gym, don't sweat. Like as long as I walk a lot, I still feel good. An object in motion stays in motion as they say, you know? Yeah. They, I heard a great, uh, I don't know if it was great or not, but it's, I think it's true that a doctor was on some podcast and he was saying that if you have high blood pressure, for example, or high cholesterol or anything like that, any of those problems, um, but you exercise, you will outlive someone who doesn't have those issues but doesn't exercise. Oh, Peter Beca- Atia, yeah, was, was he, he said that? Yeah, he's been going on like a a ton of podcasts because he just came out with a book called Outlive, I believe it's called. Oh, then that's why. Yeah, yeah. And he, <laughs> he was, was saying like, that. He was like, exercise is the like yeah. it's like the number one medicine that yeah. I would prescribe to every single person. He explained too that it's not just about getting rid of those uh, inflammatory illnesses, but exercise also has these, you know, under the radar positive impacts on you like with the telomere uh preservation from your cells and you know the 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 releasing of endorphins how like that's not just like oh it makes you happy it's like it's a stress relieving hormone like you excrete a lot of toxicity when you when you work out and you know obviously through sweat but also just like emotionally Mm -hmm. you know psychologically said about i think he said the number one indicator for long age uh, there was two things. One was, uh, the second one was balance, obviously, like most people fall in mm-hmm. old age, but the number one was, uh, grip strength. So how long can you hang dead hang from a bar? Mm. I think for men, I don't know the numbers. I think for men, it was like two minutes for women, like a minute and 40 seconds. He said that is like the number one indicator for longevity or old age. Um, I forgot the reasons why, but I guess it has something to do with like, you know, just being able to hold yourself up, being able to push yourself off a chair, like grip yeah. strength. I heard another one that was like, how quickly can you get up off the floor? Yeah. That's a very good indication of generally where are you health wise? Well, so he, Peter Atia, and if you haven't heard of Dr. Peter Atia, I highly suggest you follow him on, on Instagram. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, but he just came out with a book called Outlive and he's been on a number of podcasts. He's a, he was a brain surgeon, I believe. He went to Johns Hopkins. Like, brilliant, brilliant guy. But a lot uh, of credentials. A lot of credentials. He actually, his whole thing is about longevity, and he said he what he tried to do was basically develop a workout plan of the octogenarian like workout plan. So, what are the things I want to do when I'm 80 years old, and how do I develop a workout routine now when I'm like you know 50 that I can uh. do all these things when I'm 80. So one of them was like, you know, lifting up your grandchild over sure. over your head. So he does these lifts of like thirty pound kettlebells, right? That's like the average. Yeah, yeah, of like yeah, a yeah. Makes kid sense. Over his head, um, he did like the hang from a bar. Yeah, a lot activity of based. Yeah, like laying yeah. on on your gra- on the side, on laying on your side on the ground. You know, playing with a kid, crawling, mm-hmm. like all those sorts of things. Just like simple movements that. If you continue to do them every day for the rest of your life, like when you're eighty, you should be able to do those things. Absolutely. Yeah, it's that's definitely, you know, who what do you need to bench three fifteen when you're eighty? <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I actually kind of stopped doing that shit too because it's like it's, you're just gonna get hurt. 
you know i don't really i've gotten hurt so much with just like i was doing crossfit stuff and like high intensity and i'm like i'm like i can i'll be fine going to the gym and doing the rowing machine for 20 minutes like i'm good with that honestly so reading nothing uh no i mean i just uh i just took my firefighter one exam there you go so, oh that's why because you've been studying uh, yeah I had a textbook that was yeah. this thick it's like 20 yeah. chapters so that's why i haven't been reading as much just because i've had to dedicate a lot well you've of time been reading that. fire uh which i found out you know. so i'm in a group chat with a bunch of guys in the fire department and i text them a picture of the chapter i'm reading i'm like oh man this chapter sucks right just like and uh they text back they're like wait you're actually reading the book right and i'm like yeah like aren't you I'm like no none of us are reading the they're book. like dude that's not <laughs> i was like nothing oh, to do shit. with the test yeah. <laughs> he's like yeah dude you just read like the powerpoint slides and like take the practice exam you're good well you're listen you're a, you're you're coming from a totally different background than a lot of these guys you know that yeah like these guys don't do know, school very well i mean i'm one of those people i don't know how to study i mean i know but like when i was in school i'm like dude just what are you doing reading the book yeah don't be, don't be, you know. So yeah, I just took that on Saturday. No, I'm sure you got like, hundred. Sure, I'm pa- sure I passed, but uh, I just started reading Toni Morrison, who I never, who I've never read before. Um, but she's just one of those writers that I'm like, I need to read one of her books. It's called Song of Solomon. I believe it won like a Pulitzer Prize. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, really good. It's like a fictional um, black family um, in like the 1940s in Michigan. Um, kind of bizarre. I still haven't figured out the plot, and I'm like halfway done. So. Really, more to come on that. It's like but, a Black Mirror but it's, episode, but it's yeah, really well written, um, and just like really interesting characters. So we'll see. Toni Morrison, yeah, mm-hmm. have you heard more of than her? I, yeah. Have you heard of her? No, I mean, well, yes, but oh. I never read anything. She passed away her. recently. What about you? What are you reading? Um, another historical one, Napoleon. What a dick. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I felt like I felt like reading about him just because he's, again, super famous name. Didn't really know. I mean, I knew, you know, general, military, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, it's interesting. I will say this, though, and I, I'm probably not going to finish it because I know what happens historically now. I, you know, I looked into it and whatever. I want to get more of like just it was it's a very it's called a life. And it, I forgot who wrote the book. I forgot. I forgot. It's called Napoleon, a life. It's like the number one biography of him. And because it goes into so much detail. And I just wanted to know more about him as a person that as not necessarily what he did. A lot of those things I already know, but um, he. It's interesting that all these guys are obsessed with reading about history and other conquerors. Like his guy was, you know, Marcus Aurelius, Alexander the Great, you know, Genghis Khan. He all he did was read about those guys, and it's interesting too from reading about Genghis Khan that ever since they were a kid, it's always that thing. Like they were almost like born to become this person where their mother noticed, their fathers, their brothers and sisters were like, oh, there's something off about him. There's something, all he does is read. And, you know, Genghis Khan was born clutching a blood clot in his hand. And he like, you know, all these little weird (laughs) foreshadowing things that happen with these weird dudes. And, um, you know, interesting guy. But also, I feel like from reading the book, I'm just getting the vibe that he was just tyrannical and and, uh, violent to his core. In the sense that even when he did, like when King Louis the Sixteenth was overthrown and they over during the French Revolution and all that stuff, when he eventually years later, long story short, took power and made himself the Emperor of, of France, he just became another King Louis the Sixteenth. He became another dictator. So it's like I didn't know that about him. I thought that 
because it's weird. It was going on in the 1800s, and you'd think all that shit was over with, which was the point of the French Revolution, to get rid of the monarchy, get rid of the kings and the queens and all that. And then he just kind of made himself the guy. Was it that reason? I thought it was like the 1600s. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, well. 18, oh, 1815, I think he died. No, 1815 was when he invaded Russia and failed and then was exiled for five years, and then he died. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. I feel like he's one of those, like historical figures that you know there's a lot of folklore about or a lot totally. of things that may be yeah misrepresented or miscredited towards yeah. him he uh, gets it like that's what i'm saying like he i always thought he was like this very proud noble yeah and he is in his own way but he was also a total asshole you know what i mean like just taking over shit because and like you know just very um scorched earth kind of theory like he just burn everything to the ground but also Silver lining, of course, when he invaded Egypt in 1799, one of his soldiers found the Rosetta Stone. That's the only reason why we ever anyone ever found it. So because of that, you know, occupation, he we now can read the hieroglyphics of a 2,000 year old language that no Rosetta Stone, the one that's supposed to translate. Yeah, translates hieroglyphic. Well, it's like the alphabet. Right. Like with the remember the alphabet people, yeah, and they would explain how, what each letter does. Like it was kind of like that, but like chiseled into a rock. So they found that, and so like you know shit like that, really cool stuff like that. Things you had no idea he had anything to do with. Um, but yeah, it, it was a good bio, a little boring. But um, did you know that he went to military school? You've been to the Eiffel Tower. That's why I'm telling you. Right down that park, that rectangular grassy park is the school he went to where he went to military school. So that's cool. Like, he's very recent where you can go to places he's been to and shit like that. But, like, we've talked about the the Louisiana Purchase on this show, and I didn't even realize that that was purchased from him. Yeah. Like, he sold that to to, to, uh, Tommy Jefferson. Interesting. Yeah, for 15 mil. And by the way, he sold that only because he wanted to fund another war he wanted to go into for no reason with uh, Austria. Wow, yeah. what a segue, because speaking of Austria. Really? Yeah, literally. Not planned. Perfect segue. Swear to God. Perfect Not planned. <laughs> right behind you is the Arnold Schwarzenegger oh, yeah. biography, which I was thinking about starting. Oh, to- total Recall. Um, I was. Wow, that was literally a perfect segue. I can't believe you said Austria I swear. right as I was about to transition. I wonder how he feels about Napoleon. Yeah. He doesn't like him very much. So uh, I was going to read that. But me and, the doc came out. me and Lauren just watched the documentary three parts on Netflix called uh, just Arnold. Dude, it's so good. His life is wild. You, you forget, you forget like growing up in the 90s, he was our childhood. No, he was. He was so famous that you didn't even like think of him as like a celebrity. You were like, he's like a, he's like an idea. And dude, for him to go, Arnold, him to like go, was, first off, I didn't realize he's 75. He was born in 1948. Yeah, he's old as fuck. Um, like he was winning bodybuilding competitions in the 60s. Yeah, he was right? like 20. And then like Terminator came out in like 84. Uh, you know, like, so he's the biggest bodybuilder in Austria, moves to America, becomes the biggest bodybuilder here, <laughs> becomes a millionaire before he becomes an actor, which most people don't know. He made millions of dollars from real estate. Before he was that. an actor, yeah. So him and his friend got him into real estate, and he bought a bunch of apartment buildings in Venice. Um, became a millionaire before he was an actor, which is why he was able to say no to things and like take risks and like be so bold to like be like, oh. no, I'm the Terminator. Like and like you know, so that's why he was so successful early in his acting career. Because like, why would anyone hire an Austrian bodybuilder? That's for, like, so true, right? So yeah. 
but he was just one of those guys like Napoleon who just like had something different in him. Yeah. And like he just had the charisma. He had the conviction. He talks so much about the fact that he had the vision just crystal clear in his head. Yes. Like he knew before he was a bodybuilder when he was like 15. He was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be the most famous bodybuilder in the world with thousands of people chanting my name and me holding a trophy in front of the bright lights. I mean, and then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be the biggest actor in America. And he becomes the biggest actor and then the, becomes the fucking governor of California, yeah. marries into the no, Kennedy family. He would like, have became president if it said you didn't have to be born here to become president. Like, yeah. You know? And he was a great governor, too. Yeah. Um, Apparently, he really was. Like, even politically speaking, he was yeah. not just, like, nice. He was, like, he made he signed a lot of important bills and stuff dude, like just that. Like, I mean, Bill Burr has that joke, that great joke about yeah, yeah. him. But, like, I mean, the, the success story is yeah. wild. And Lauren was like, who can you even compare him to now? No, you like, can't. There's no one. No. He's a combination of maybe a few people, but, like, there is no person that's a triple threat in like three completely different categories like that it's interesting because in america we we people think he kind of started that whole appreciation of the jacked hollywood actor but really we've always thought like the big muscle bound guy. we've always like thought of that guy as like the guy and he it's almost like he preyed on our what we consider to be number one, you know, not that he did it on purpose, but like he was just a perfect formula of a person. Well, yeah, they talk you about know? that in the like, documentary, how like prior to uh, him and like Sylvester Stallone, who, who was the other guy prior to them, you know, there really was no like jacked action hero. It uh-huh. was all like smaller guys who were, like car chases. Right. Right. And then uh, yeah, in the eighties yeah. when like Reagan came in and like the U S was dominating, you that's know, what I mean. Patriotism. Right. And like, like America, fuck yeah. Fighter pilots. Like yeah, the, just yeah. patriotism was like a, a, a glow. That's what they kind of like. You know how else he's like Napoleon? Like you're saying it's, it's, it's a right place, right time thing too. Like Napoleon was born or he was just turning like 15, I think, when the French Revolution was just starting to bubble up and like King Louis XVI was getting caught doing a lot of shady shit. And like, so it's just a matter of time before someone came along to lead the rebels, you know, against these monarchs and like the other European countries who were against what they were doing. So, like, you know, Arnold took that same kind of opportunity, right place, right time. Like, I am that guy. And Napoleon said the same thing. He's like, he when people asked him, are you French? Because he, he was actually born in Corsica, which is an island, you know. But he went to France with his family, the Bonapartes. And like, when people would say, are you French? He would say, I am from the blood of conquerors and kings. Like, he would answer people with that ridiculous, <laughs> apparently, you know, because he there's something just different about these guys. They're going to do what they're going to do, and no one's going to fucking stop them, you know. And it's funny, but yeah, it's crazy. Just every, <laughs> like that's why I love those documentaries. You just pe- realize, like, oh, you can't compete with you this know Joaquin guy. Like, Phoenix is is playing Napoleon in a movie coming out very soon. That's going to be a good movie because it is an incredible talk about an incredible life, like the conquering and the war and the death and the yeah, yeah. I was just talking on my Instagram post about Marcus Aurelius. How like you know he was Joaquin Phoenix's dad in yeah. the Gladiator. Yeah, forget how good he was in that. Yeah, like, yeah, the perfect yeah. villain in that. Yeah, he's great at all that. He's he's he. And that's, you know, and I wondered, I'm just thought of this, like, Joaquin is such a good villain, but he's also an incredible actor and, like, deserves the good guy part of the movie. Johnny Cash. Right. And, yeah, hey, um, love you. But Napoleon is kind of a villain. And Joaquin Phoenix is kind of perfect for that, where, you, where he's good enough of an actor to be the hero, but he's also kind of a dick. And, 
Yeah. Like he was totally hypocritical in everything he did, you know, but you know, he didn't last very long anyway, but it changed the world regardless. Yeah. Which is why like, it's wild that there's three movies about Steve jobs, but not one movie about Napoleon that I know about. Yes. Yeah. You know, it was kind of a short lived thing. It was about 20 years, but you know, he, he rose quick and he, he was a genius. And in, in the sense that like, he was a huge reader, like, and he had mandatory reading for all of his generals and lieutenants. And it was all books on Caligula and Alexander the Great and, you know, the, 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 the greatest of all time conquerors, kings, emperors, because their battle strategies and their politics and the way they thought stoicism, all that. And he was mandatory. You had to read it. And he even made some books you have to read again and again all the time, mandatory, weekly. Um, because in those books, you know, it's how these guys became who they became. And you got to think, like, imagine all the leaders of your army have that in their head. Everyone's on the same page, almost literally. And, you know, they, they were against the odds almost every battle, but they won, you know, regardless. And then he got exiled to what? Elsa? Elsa. Elba? Is that the name of the... It's always Elba? a crossword. He actually word. got exiled and then came back. Like a year later, <laughs> he found his way off the island and then start, started another army <laughs> and tried to run again for like office. And like he actually had a battle or two. And won, and then got beaten again, and then got exiled again to a different place than like one Game you're talking about. Shit. Yeah, yeah, literally, like, yeah, like, what a life. Like, I can't wait for the movie. It's going to be good. Yeah. What else? Anything else you're reading? That's the last one I'd mention. I'm also, I just began a book called All for Humankind. It's about the moon landing and how Ooh. different people around the Do world it? reacted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen Room 237? No, you've told me that. Okay, it's a documentary about... Is that the one with Adrian Brody? Is that... No, it's about The Shining. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Stanley Kubrick directed The Moon Landing and how that... In The Shining, there's all these hints about him trying to tell the world that he directed that film, that footage we all have seen that looks totally fake, by the way. (laughs) I know Neil deGrasse Tyson's been on Rogan a hundred times to talk about how... Why it looks that way and why, you know, the, the frame rate versus this... You know, you know his thing is like obviously it's gonna look weird. It's on another fucking planet. It's the moon. It doesn't look normal to you. So like yeah, but you know, do I believe it? Yes or no? I don't know. But a lot of people don't. So I just started a book about like how that impacted the world. Short, but it's just like did a, I think it's like little interviews of people from like imagine somebody from like Peru, you know, seeing that mm. and they're going like what we went to the moon, like they don't even. Like in, in in third world countries, imagine that they they did you know I, I can't wait to see what they get into in the book, but it's it's apparently like it caused a huge stir. The only to me the, the culture, like you know I'm I'm neither, not I'm neither here nor there about believing it. The only thing that's bizarre to me is like how have we not been back? In well, did you fifty five years? We're going back next year, are we? Huh? So NASA is the Artemis mission. Artemis three is going to be the first time humans will be back on the moon. It's actually twenty twenty five, but twenty twenty four is like the the beginning of the preparation but we're going to be back on the moon for the first time and they're going to s- explore the south pole because we've never been there no one's ever been to the south side of the moon so yeah we're going back and if we go back this time but now we've got deep fakes now forget about faking it now yeah, it's so that, that's easy. what i was gonna, I was yeah, gonna say it's, it's like gonna be sad like, you know you see the clips of people in 1969 like everyone gathered around the tv you yeah, know yeah, like yeah, yeah. they're all dressed up and so happy like america came together for that or the world really yeah the whole and, world. like now if it happens everyone's gonna be like fucking 
talking shit. No, on everyone's Twitter gonna be like, you know, this is what we're spending money on. <laughs> yeah. are this what about problem. global global warming? Yeah. yeah. What about all the crickets? <laughs> what about all the snails? What, like, and you know, you're just like, oh, yeah. you can't win. You just yeah. can't win because. We really did it this time. We faked the first one. Fine, I'll give you that. But we really went. Like, this Twitter live stream sucks. Right, right. <laughs> why is it delayed? Like, people are gonna like. I mean, the memes. There's gonna be memes. You know, that's why I always say like, the internet's great because it's it's the worst thing in the world at the end of the day. But it's also great because even if the apocalypse was actually happening, you ever see Don't Look Up? Yeah. Like it would just become a meme. Yeah, it would. And we'd just laugh into infinity because it would come and we'd all be laughing at that stupid meme. You know, that was just went viral and everybody thought it was hysterical. It's just, you know, we're a joke. And at the end of the day, nothing really matters. You're not really Kyle Brennan. I'm I really do the Keith amount Sullivan. the amount of times I quote the the speech you gave at our grandma's uh after her funeral about yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yeah. I mean she, she goes, I, so what happened was it was I went to go visit grand, our grandmother once because she's old and whatever and I had nothing to do and, you know, go talk to us. I, I never wanted to squander the opportunity to talk to somebody who's lived through as much shit as an 80-year-old person, 90-year-old person has, especially for our generation, World War Two, Vietnam, different presidents, the whole thing, the civil rights movements, you know, gay rights movements, the whole thing. Um, so I asked her about World War Two, and I was like, you know, what was that like? Like, you're in America, you're 19, you're a young lady, you know, you're seeing the shit in the paper about some psycho throwing people in ovens by the millions in Germany and like he's going to invade America potentially. And all this nuclear war talk and invasions and Russia and the Chinese and the Pearl Harbor and the and I was like, what was that like? Weren't what was how did you feel about that? And and she just went, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> She's like, what do you, I, mean, I mean, what are you going to do? What are you gonna do? She I goes, have to go to work. I, mean, I gotta go to work. You gotta get a bagel. You know, what, to, like, I, yeah, and then she goes, she goes, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> That's what I used to think. She goes, yeah, like people would. Say, you'd imagine it at the deli, people going and going. We'll figure it out. See this shit? Yeah. What are you gonna yeah. do? Well, what are you gonna do? I'll figure it out. I'm late. Yeah. I gotta go. <laughs> I got a meeting at ten. You know, <laughs> like we can't. <laughs> bills don't stop. Yeah. Like we gotta It'd be the keep, same way yeah. if like if like a meteor like don't look up was coming to the planet. Right. Yeah, what are you gonna do? I'm like, do I really? I gotta pay my car payment. Like I, you know, yeah. I mean. If this, if this meteor doesn't hit, I'm not yeah, getting coming after me. misses. Yeah. You know, so I mean, yeah, I mean, she's that philosophy is so true. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, don't worry about it. We're gonna figure it out. And even if we don't, you worried for nothing because now it's here, and now you got other shits to to deal with. Now you got real problems. Yeah. Now you got to learn German. You got to you know. My other duck fa- and hide. my other favorite quote about that from is from Lauren's grandpa. The same thing. Whatever, like you're stressed or like whatever. She goes, eh, we're all just passing through. Oh, yeah. Isn't that good? Well, just, yeah, because we're, we're not here for long. Yeah, we're just passing through. Yeah. So whenever I get like stressed about something, it's either, eh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Or, eh, we're just passing through. Yeah. It doesn't really matter, does it? No. Nothing really matters. Ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when that came on at the wedding? Oh my god, dude! I think they I played the video. whole thing, all nine minutes of it. I think too. I have a video of it on my phone somewhere. That was a good I wedding. Looked at it. That was a fun wedding. That was a great wedding. All right, let's wrap it up. I'm good. All right, I'm good too. All right, all right. thanks everyone. Thank you everybody. Don't we'll forget to subscribe. To yeah, subscribe. You know, it'll listen. We'll figure it out. If you haven't subscribed at this point, I mean, I don't know. all right, thanks. All everyone. right, thanks Take guys. Care.